turn it up. You're listening to the Marketing Millennials Podcast. I'm Emily Ferguson. And I'm Daniel Murray. Get ready, because we're taking you on a journey with today's marketing leaders and tomorrow's top stars. Let's go! No BS, just a fun, unfiltered industry conversation with the game changers behind some of the coolest companies from around the globe. The one request we tell our guests. Stories or didn't happen. A big welcome to our marketing fam. Prepare to turn them all right, you guys, are you ready for more episodes? Don't forget to subscribe to the Marketing Millennials on Spotify and Apple Podcasts. And if you're a repeat listener and you like what you've been listening to over the past few episodes, leave us a review. All right, now for the good stuff. You likely follow him on Twitter, and if you don't, you are missing out. His journey in the social media industry is beyond unique, working with companies like the New York Stock Exchange and now Fast, to name a few. Not to mention we're both Hoosiers. All right, gotta love that. TMM fam, give it up for the one and only Matthew Kobach. Matthew, welcome to the pod. Yeah, thank you so much. Happy to be here. <laughs> I like to start it off. Where in the world are you talking from today? I am in a little city outside of Tahoe, California called Truckee. It's about 30 minutes outside Lake Tahoe. It's beautiful here. Yesterday morning, I went outside, walked, and saw a family of bears. So very nature Yeah, yeah. A little mama bear, two, like three baby bears. So it's a, it's it's cool. Never never thought I was going to wake up and see a bunch of bears. So uh, <laughs> this has been an amazing. For anyone who doesn't know, I'm traveling across the United States for a few months, where we just stay in different cities for a few weeks or even a month at a time. That's so fun. Yeah, it's uh, it feels very once in a lifetime. Yeah, that's that's so awesome. I want to do that one day. That's definitely something on the bucket list. I want to get into the good stuff. Tell us how you got into marketing. Dumb luck, really. So uh, this kind of goes back to a like a way of life kind of thing. Um, and I didn't know it at the time, but I kind of know it now. And the way I first got into social media marketing was by trying to reduce competition. So I started my kind of journey in social media at, through academia. So this is like 2008. And I was, uh, I was getting a PhD. And the way it works when you get a PhD is you go super, super specific. And I was in a media program. And so our department looked at the effects of media. So there was someone who was a politics in the media expert and someone who was a children in the media expert and sex and race and all these different things. And in 2008, social media had like kind of just got enough momentum that it was clearly going to be a thing. But there were no experts in it yet because it was so new. So I decided, all right, that's going to be my thing. Instead of trying to compete with hundreds of other people who are also experts in this, I'm going to try to be one of two or three experts in this. And then that'll help me you know, land a job later and, and separate myself. And so that's what I did for a couple of years. Uh, I eventually got tired of it and quit. <laughs> I'm a PhD dropout. I never got it. But that led me to uh, some, do some data analytics for a social media marketing firm. Uh, I started a marketing company, ended up at the New York Stock Exchange, and now I'm at Fast. What a journey. I'm curious to know, like from a psychology standpoint, how in the world did you make that connection? I mean, you said that you wanted to kind of eliminate competition, but how, what role does psychology play in social media? One, it's it's in all marketing. So if you're going to, if you want to get a degree in marketing, make psychology your minor. And social media ends up kind of even being just as much or even more so where you can use the tenets of psychology to make predictions, to figure out how people are going to react to certain content. 
And so for me, when I was doing this uh, dissertation, the theory that really spoke to me was evolutionary psychology, which is this idea that we kind of act like we act because of evolution. So, you know, we have thumbs because we evolved thumbs, as Carrie evolved to walk on two feet. Well, we also evolved the way that we think. Uh, you know, we, we find certain foods delicious. We find um, certain sceneries beautiful because they behooved our ancestors. And so once you started looking at that, you could kind of see like, all right, so this is how our brains are, are programmed. Now let's see what happens when we add social media to it. And you can make predictions on how people are going to interact in a new environment if you know kind of the old hardwire. That's awesome. And when you started, what social platforms were you exploring and how did you ultimately land on Twitter being like your number one platform? Yeah. So I didn't start being personally active really. I mean, I, I had accounts and stuff, but it wasn't until May or April of last year. So 2019, I kind of had decided that I wanted to test out these kind of all these things I've been doing for brands. So let me see if I can take what I know that works for branded social media marketing and apply a lot of it to my own personal social media. The reason I landed on Twitter is actually pretty easy. It's the one where it's the, the bar to entry is the lowest in terms of content you have to create because it's just words. It's just ideas. And I don't mean to trivialize those and say those are easy, but you know, you don't have to be a great photographer. You don't have to have Photoshop skills. You don't have to have the ability to do graphic design or to edit videos. And so for me, I wanted to kind of share some ideas and share the way that I was thinking. And so it was just that Twitter was the platform that most easily allows that. So it's a very easy decision to, you know, just invest in Twitter. And, and also I wanted to only invest in one platform really at the, at the jump. I didn't want to spread myself too thin. So it was really like, let me get this one. Let me get it down, see if I can do it. And so far it's been successful. And I've, I've taken some of that stuff and applied it to LinkedIn to Instagram, but still Twitter is the one that, that uh, I spend the most time on. I'm really interested because you come up with some posts that hit on all levels. And obviously you said that some of them do fail, but where do these ideas come from, from these posts that you create? I, I think I'm kind of lucky in that I was able to create an account that was different enough from other people. And the reason it was different enough from other accounts is because I was able to not just take social media marketing, but I was able to take this other part uh, of life that I just find interesting. So I was always kind of interested in psychology. I, I very early on in college got interested in, you know, happiness and, and trying to live a fulfilled life and, you know, philosophy. And so what I learned kind of just reading these out of you know, to, as a hobby, was that there's so many life lessons in, in research like that and thinking like that, that applies so broadly. And so what I was able to do is take these kind of bigger life lessons and apply them to social media. It's really easy. So I'll read something just for fun that, that I enjoy. And then I, I almost intuitively now can just look at it through marketing or social media or creativity. But really, it's just a life lesson. If you went through my Twitter and just replaced every time I said creativity or marketing with the word life, it'd probably sound familiar. And you probably realize, oh, yeah, he stole that from, you know, whatever philosopher or whatever person who wrote this book. My old Twitter bio, I'm going to probably get it wrong, used to be advice, like life advice disguised as marketing advice, something like that. And it was just, I think, a way that resonated with people. Like it was kind of one of these things where, 
you're able to take some ideas that felt true that they'd never expressed. Uh, and then they see it in writing form and it's like, oh yes, I feel that I get that. So it really just seemed to connect with a lot of people. Your posts definitely are felt a lot. I will be going through and replacing a lot of those words with life just to maybe grasp them more. I have a question. How far out do you, do you prepare your posts? I mean, do you have drafts just saved in rock and roll? Yes. So uh, there's two ways that I write. So one, I don't really schedule anything. And that was more of a brand thing. So I, I, I've scheduled a few things. And then what I found was that when I did, I was just like on my phone refreshing to see if it posted anyways. So it's not like it saved me any effort. I, w- I was kind of neurotic about it anyway. So I scheduled it at 7.30 on a Sunday. I'm like at 7.29, I'm waiting to see if it goes and making sure it all looks mm-hmm. good. Uh, and the other part too is I never, you never know what's going to happen. Like, you know, you could have such a, a monumental national event that then makes your post look kind of weird or out of touch. For me personally, I do really one of two things. So either something pops into my head and I feel like tweeting it right then. But really what I more do is I have so many drafts in my phone and I have, uh, uh, I mean, hundreds. I, I, I could probably, I could probably not write another tweet and be good for the next 12 months if I just wanted to schedule them out. And and yeah. some of them are horrible. I mean, th- there is a reason why <laughs> some of them aren't published, but and some <laughs> of them are only half baked, and then some of them are full fledged ideas. And that started with when I first did this, I committed to myself that the like the deal I made with myself was like, all right, I'm going to do this. I'm going to post twice a day, every day for six months minimum. Like that's it. I'll, I'll get through that, and we'll see what happens. So it's like I do it first thing when I wake up, and then when I get home from work. And if I want to post more, I can post more, but th- that's the minimum. And so to do that, I realized I needed a lot of content. And so there are times where I'd read a book or go for a walk or you know whatever. Inspiration hits you at odd times. So there'll be times where I could write ten posts all within the span of you know fifteen minutes. But then, but you know, you don't want to push all that out there because that might might take me three or four days before something remote, you know, even close as good as any of those uh, hits me again. So it really, I kind of write in batches and in waves and. You know, you never really know when it's going to hit. And it's funny, I have a very understanding fiance where, you know, she'll be talking to me or we'll be having a conversation and I'll have an idea. And I've just got to be like, all right, give me a second. Like, I I know this looks rude. I know it looks like I'm just going to get on my phone and ignore you. I'm not. I have this idea. I just want to get it out. And, uh, you know, she's kind enough to give me the, you know, two or three minutes to to just get these thoughts out. Because the other thing I've learned, too, is I'll... Um, and we've all had this, you know, you're in the shower or you're like dozing off to bed and you have this great idea and then you come back to it and it's completely gone. And I've had mm-hmm. so many ideas, tweets like that just disappear. And so I try my best to, if I have an idea that I think is remotely good, that I'll just go into my drafts and type out just, to, you know, just even a, a blueprint, you know, so I remember it, even if it's not perfect on paper at that moment. I have a question on that note. What are the, some of like the qualities that make up a good social media post? If you would across all platforms, like what qualities do you think stand true on all platforms to make an excess, successful content? It's a it's this idea of value, of adding value, of providing someone something that is worth their time. The problem is that like it's this very big, you know, sixty thousand foot idea that when you zoom in on different platforms, it can mean different things. So adding value on Twitter for me is at least how it started was I started by kind of saying the things about social media marketing 
that the people who had done it for a long time understood to be true, but like hadn't necessarily articulated it. I also kind of poked holes through some old theories about social media that I think everyone kind of agreed on, but no one was really saying. So just adding value in that way that I was able to to kind of be the person saying these things that people felt and knew to be true, and it reaffirmed what they thought about it. But you can add value through art. Uh, you can add value through comedy, through information. There's tons of ways, but what you've got to do is figure out like, all right, is what I'm posting going to make someone's newsfeed better? And if it is, you're on the right track. And if it's going to make your profile better, you're probably not on the right track. And also to some people, it's fine. If you want to use your social media as a diary or you want to use it to record whatever it is that you want to record, that's completely fine. There's no right or wrong way to use social media, but there are better and worse ways to use social media if you want to build an engaged audience. And so that's what I always try to, um, you know, that, that's my little like asterisk because I, I say, hey, do this, you know, to make better social media. And then some people go, well, I love, you know, I, I do it for X, Y, and Z. And it's, it's like, I don't mean it <laughs> for someone who's doing it just to enjoy social media. Just do whatever you like. But if you want to grow a following, it's this idea of adding value. And also you have to add value kind of in a very similar way. So if I'm going to add value by being a nature photographer, I've probably got to stick to that niche and probably got to have a lot of photos of nature. And if all of a sudden I throw in what I'm eating that day, or I give you some idea about, uh, you know, some proposition in California that is slightly polarizing, it's going to be an odd piece of content within my established brand, essentially. So it's, it's add value and stay very specific to the value that you add. Going on that note of you poking holes, what do you think most marketers are doing wrong right now? On social media, it's simple because I've done this wrong a million times, is you definitely, you, you think about your needs before you think about your audience's needs. And social media, especially organically, you better be thinking about how to entertain your audience. Because they they didn't follow you for ads, and they're not they're definitely not going to share ads. So you need to figure out a way to make an ad that doesn't feel like an ad. You need to make a uh, you need to figure out a way to connect with your audience. And so it's really this idea of the, I think the thing that a lot of us get wrong, we forget what it's like to be on the other end of that phone. And so just put yourself in the shoes of your audience, and and don't lie to yourself about what's interesting. Don't lie to yourself about what's compelling. Don't lie to yourself about what's going to get you to stop scrolling. Be really, really harsh. Be your, be your content's biggest critic. Mm. I love that. Stay honest. Stay honest mm -hmm. with your own stuff, especially since we're kind of the experts anyway. <laughs> I want to know what other industries are you following to stay like, not necessarily creative, but for kind of inspirational purposes? It's what we talked about earlier. I definitely have a predilection to that philosophy kind of stuff. Like I, I my, my Twitter feed is full of people who think about big life issues, who think about how to live a happy life, how to live a successful life, how to live a fulfilled life. And so that's where I get a lot of my inspiration. I'm trying to do it before I, I write, before I do work for my current company. And the reason being, too, is one, I think some of those concepts overlap to social media and, and to marketing, and I can apply them. But also, I found uh, I just have a clearer head. I, you know, like I, if I can kind of get in a good headspace early in the morning, it makes the day so much more productive. 
one of my favorite things to do is, as we talked about at the beginning, I'm traveling for the for a few months. And so one routine I've gotten into is I like to go to the local coffee shop in the morning, first thing. And uh, I just get in there, I get coffee, and then I just drive around and drink the coffee. And it's, it ends up being almost like this meditative experience where it's just me, it's just the coffee, and I'm exploring this new city, you know, because I don't really know these areas that well. And I try to just essentially get lost in a different area. Sometimes I listen to a podcast, sometimes not. And the podcasts are really about the same thing. I'm, I'm listening to interviews with people I admire. And it's just this very soothing way to start every day. I'm not getting up, running around. I'm not worried about other things. It's this way that I can like kind of think about what I need to accomplish that day and then how I can figure out the best way to accomplish it. And doing this helps me realize, it really helps me identify like what are the two or three things that I need to do today? And I need to do them really well. Because when I don't do that, I've noticed I wake up and I try to do 15 things that day. And what ends up happening is I don't really do any of those 15 things that well. So now it's about kind of, you know, listening to media or reading media that gets me in that good space where uh, I feel even more productive. And, and I'm now working on the things that move the needle for my company, as opposed to the things that make me feel busy. Did it scare you at first to slow down? No, I, 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 I understand why it might, but it just, um, I just don't think I'm wired that way. I'm not a particularly a worrier. It was just kind of, I did it once almost by accident. And it was almost the opposite of worrying. I like, I didn't plan to do this. So I did it once and realized like, oh, this felt amazing. This was like, this was uh, like, it was, you know, you get done with a day and you're like, that was a full day. That was a day where I feel very accomplished, where I feel like I did a lot. And so it was really easy to do it again and again. So yeah, it was almost the opposite. It was like, if you had a delicious meal that was healthy, you're like, I'm adding this to that. Like I'm eating this meal as many times as I can. This is what a great experience. Which platforms do you think are going to die out in the next few years? And which ones do you think are going to be on the rise? Even if there's a, a new one that you're looking at. So it's so hard because it's, it's like, I don't think Twitter's going anywhere. I think it's going to be this like, cockroach of a social media and i mean in a good way like i think it's just going to survive i think we it's it's not going to grow to the same extent but it's also not going to diminish cuz I, I think they've got they've built a very specific niche and i don't think those people are going anywhere um you could see something like instagram be replaced like perhaps they're trying to do too many things and people just get overwhelmed with it and they get bored with it and they move on to something else i think what we are going to see in the next five years, maybe 10 years, is you're going to see more of this YouTube model where it's revenue sharing for the creators. I think someone's going to make a, a create a platform where if you want to follow your favorite people, you've got to pay a monthly fee and it could be low. It's, you know, it doesn't have to be anything super high um, or maybe there's better way to, to incorporate ads, but you're going to see social media content creators go, I'm putting so much into this. And Instagram doesn't pay me a dime and Facebook doesn't pay me anything and LinkedIn doesn't pay me anything. Why not take my audience and say, hey, I'm going to be over here. And for 99 cents a month, you can follow me here. So I don't know who's going to build that. I don't know what it's going to be called. But it seems like there's got to be some better way for content creators to monetize what they're doing. And then in a similar, I think there's also going to be this blending of social media and education. 
I believe that we're seeing a bit of a reckoning for academia for a certain tier of schools. And so you're going to have people that are going to create their own courses or their own certificates or their own, you know, MBA programs. And the ones that are going to be successful are the ones that are going to feel like social media. So I don't know if we're going to call this social media, but, you know, you could certainly see a scenario where you've got some of the world's best marketers going, yeah, I'm going to create a course and it's going to be kind of, it's going to feel like social media. It's going to feel like what we're doing right now. And you might be able to supplement it with text and a newsfeed and, and assignments and, and groups. And I think that is kind of the future of education where it, it marries with social media. I, that's such an interesting idea because I think most, if you go look at Twitter and I, I just started becoming bigger on Twitter, just like consuming wise and LinkedIn as well. You could probably get a year or two or more worth of college, like knowledge in a feed. Cause I mm-hmm. literally scroll and I see your content. I see David Perel's content. I see Amanda Getz content and, it's just like years of knowledge just put into a couple of simplified words that it just hit hard. And the bigger type content too, I think like even like curation of content in one place is a big thing too. Because I think when someone like you, and I want to get into this with you, but like recommends alchemy, right? Like someone wants to dig in because that's a book that they gained ideas from and gained knowledge from. And instead of like digging through Google, which is now hard to do to find good quality information, I think, which unless you're an expert Google or people should hone in that skill, but it's crazy how much information you can get just from following these, these experts. That's why it seems like such a, it seems so obvious to me. Wouldn't you love to take a class with Amanda? Uh, David already has his own class, but you know you've got Jack Appleby who's who's putting himself out there and talking about social media. Like, imagine a course where you not only get their ideas, now you get these you know interactions, course interactions. You get projects you get to work on. You know, to learn from somebody who's doing it, who's done it, seems like this immensely valuable thing. And what you're going to have is people go to college for two reasons, and arguably only one is you go for accreditation. I go to school because I want to say I have that degree. You know, no one asks you what you learned in biology 101. No one cares about what you actually learned in college. They care that you graduated. And so what we've got to do is figure out the people who actually care about what they learn. We've got to figure out a better way to make that happen. And so I think a course with like any one of the people you named uh, is a great way to to share, you know, to figure out how or sorry, to continue your learning and, and to do it in a way where you're gaining more knowledge than you would have in school. Like that's going to, we're going to flip over this idea of like, I care less about accreditation. I care more about what I'm learning. And I think we're kind of slowly feeling that, uh, that shift, especially during the pandemic. Yeah. And on the note of alchemy, I just wanted to dig in and say, what lessons that you took from that book have you applied to marketing in general, like your accounts and your job? What lessons have you taken away from that? So if someone is listening to this, pause it right now. Go to Amazon or your local bookstore, wherever it is, order it. It's Roy Sutherland. It's a brilliant book. I don't know that I have a a concrete example off the top of my head, but I do know that it it certainly had me think. Um, Actually, I do kind of have one, Um, but it's made me think like, all right, what's really at the core of why anyone's doing anything? 
Like that's the best part about this book is you realize that our motivation isn't necessarily the motivation we think it is. Uh, and we were these, we're kind of these, you know, pink little monkeys walking around the world and we're not even in control of what we do or what we say. Like I, I think about this, like I'm having a conversation with you right now. I actually can't really even control what's coming out of my mouth. Like we're having a conversation, but I have to say in real time. So it's not like this is well rehearsed. It's not like I'm thinking about it ahead of time. I'm literally just, I'm opening my mouth and words are coming out. And then what happens is after I've got to justify to myself that what I said made sense, that what I said was right. And that's kind of how we go through life. You know, you interact with other people and you, you know, you don't really have a good reason for why you did anything. You don't even, you know, you, you think about it, like you bump into someone at a bar and you get angry um, or you know, anytime you have a, a disagreement with your significant other, it's real easy to kind of justify the crappy thing you did after the fact, as opposed to say, you know what, I, you know, I'm just kind of this entity that's interacting with the world and I'm not actually in control of it as much as I think I am. And really what I'm in control of is explaining his, her, her actions after the fact. And so when you realize that we're all kind of operating in this world, there's, a, there's actually a good metaphor. We think we're the president. Uh, you know, of our of ourselves, but we're not. We're the press secretary. We're the person who goes, all right, here's why he did all these things. Let me explain and justify. And so when you realize that we're all that way, you can see then, okay, uh, we'll go back to the school. If you ask anybody why they go to college, you're going to say to get an education. But when you really pull it back, it's like, okay, so if you had to pick between the degree or all the knowledge you got, which one would you choose? Everyone would choose the degree. You know, you, you go there to ha to say you graduated from that college. Uh, and you realize there's a million things like that. You realize weddings are like that. You realize, uh, you know, uh, religions are like that. You realize so much about life is about, isn't necessarily about what we think it's about. And so once you can kind of pull back the layers of why we do the things we do, why we uh, are in the groups we're in, then you're able to kind of get in that like layer underneath uh, of to, to really hit someone, you know, it's like, these are the things that people kind of feel to be true, but don't really know it. And so once you can better understand why a person or why a group of people or why, you know, a whole human race does anything, then you're better able to, to market to them and speak to their needs. What are some ways that you dive into your audience like fast? Like, how do you get to know them? Mm-hmm. So when we started or when I started marketing, and, and there's two ways to think about the marketing we do at Fast. It's organic and it's paid. And what we want to do from the organic side is we want to arm the rebels. We want to make people who, uh, who buy stuff online demand a fast checkout from their stores. So what I'm trying to do a lot of times is really hit home this pain point of buying stuff online sucks. And buying stuff should be fun. Buying stuff should be something that you enjoy. You are spending your money and every part of it should be seamless. A company that makes it hard for you to give them your money is doing something wrong. And so what we're trying to do is figure out a way that we can get people to tag their favorite brands and go, God, I wanted to buy something from you, but you just didn't have fast checkout and it was too annoying. I didn't feel like getting my credit card. Or I love you so much, brand X install fast checkout and and we're actually seeing a lot of that on twitter so we're we feel like we're in a, we're doing something right there uh in terms of like hitting this pain point of like wait a minute we've all been doing this thing that's kind of broken and it should be a lot easier and for those of you who don't know the way that fast works 
is you log in one time and you give us the bare minimum information that you need to give us. And then we have that information. And then any website that installs fast checkout, you literally just have to hit one button to purchase. And then what happens, you hit the button uh, and then all your information pops up. And then you have five minutes to edit it. You know, maybe you're traveling somewhere and you have a different address or you want to update your credit card uh, or you just want to cancel it and you, and you change it. So you get five minutes to change it or to delete it. Or if you everything looks good, you can just leave it and it'll just order. And it's uh, and I've used it several times now. Obviously, I, I work there, um, but I've had to buy stuff. We give away stuff. We do promotions and I'll buy stuff from companies that have it. And it is so unbelievably a better experience, so unbelievably a better product that it's it, it seems unbelievably obvious to me that as soon as it's available on kind of that, uh, uh, you know, enough websites that people are using it multiple times that they're just going to demand it from everyone. Um, you know, people are, I see a future where people will not buy stuff from certain websites if they don't have something, if they don't have fast or something like fast on their website. You know, what's really funny about that. And I haven't had an experience with fast, but I could see why it exists. I kind of had this experience like, and I think that any website that has Apple Pay, I'm more willing to buy from the website because it's so mm -hmm. easy to just click Apple Pay and pay because it's connected to my phone. And I try to translate what you're saying into the B2B world as well. Like the person who can get to the buyer faster and have the better buyer experience and help make it easier for them to buy and be buyer centric is going to win in the yeah. future right now. Because I think there was a time where you could put roadblocks in front of a customer and they would jump through it but now they have so many options to do that and especially in b2b where if you're going to make it hard for them to buy or people who are blocking their content right like if you make them hard for them to consume your content they don't want to have to fill out their email every time they want to download a piece of content of yours they want to just consume it um, and they'll leave your website for doing that so i love totally love the concept of like making it easier for someone to buy things that you're doing. And I think that's awesome that you're thinking of it as like targeting the end consumer of a B2B because a lot of people just don't think of like the person who's actually going to use the product. They just think of the layer before that, which is yeah. the person who's going to buy the product. I was wondering, what is something that you've basically like – zigged when everybody zagged at fast like what is something that you've done differently that besides the zen user that you've thought and you just tested and it was like wow that worked so we're really a b2b company you know like the the way that we operate is that we need websites to install our button and so we have a sales team that talks to those companies we have paid ads that talk to those companies but what we do is we actually try to use B2C marketing principles. To me, I don't get why B2B advertising is so boring. It's, you know, mm -hmm. they're long PDFs and they're white papers and they're, you know, a, a three-minute talking head video. And so what we did right out the gate was like, let's just make our content fun. Let's do, even if we're talking to a business owner, let's do it in a way where we're using a little pizzazz, a little razzle dazzle to get their attention. And so we're testing out crazy ideas. And to be honest, we've kind of, we've really done, we've really run the whole gamut. So we've got like kind of on one end, very straightforward. Here's why you need to install fast checkout. Uh, here are the facts. 
And then on the other end where it's like, here is a really cool video and here's our brand. And so what we're trying to do is like find that happy medium where what's a cool video that's going to get someone's attention, that's going to get them to stop, but then also very clearly articulates what FAST's value prop is. And so we, you know, we've had some over here, we've had some over here, and we've kind of had some in the middle, but we're trying to really get these ones in the middle perfect. And I'll give you an idea of what we're doing. We have like, I'll literally, I'll see someone on TikTok making an awesome video and I'll reach out to them and I'll go, hey, I want to pay you to make a video. Are, are you game? And, uh, you know, so far, luckily, they've all said yes. But we're trying to create ads that speak the language that people that use social media speak and uh, just include our brand in it. And, uh, you know, you don't see a lot of many B2B brands that are trying to hire a, you know, someone who, who makes very compelling TikTok videos. It seems so obvious to me. And it seems so obvious to think to anybody who says it. it's like, why would you not make an ad that's exciting to watch that people want to see? So like that's <laughs> like that's the secret. I'm making an awesome special effects kind of cool looking TikTok video that I can't wait to release. I'm, I'm actually working with him. Uh, I, I have a call with him later today who's making this. And uh, I'm super excited to launch this in the world. Like I, I think it's going to be an awesome video and it's going to very clearly state what FAST does. But it's going to be something that you're like, that was fun to watch for 20 seconds. I, actually, I kind of want to watch it again. Or I want to send it to my friends because I got to figure out how to make that video myself. That's what we're doing. It, and it's not even that expensive, I I, you know. <laughs> like I paid the guy a couple, you know. I, I, I won't tell me how much I paid, but I didn't pay him. Like a, 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 not, you know, like we're a small startup and was able to easily afford it. I think it's so smart that you guys aren't afraid to kind of tap into that owned personality, even if it just means being fun and being fresh. I think that that speaks so much. And it's something even from a B2B side, I'm not really seeing very much still. There's still this sense of scare. Like it's scary to be, to have a personality, to consider being fun, to do something different. And it's refreshing in its own light, but it's so right also. Like, why is it taking so long to get here? You know, it's it's one of those object emotion stays in motion, and that's just kind of what everyone was doing. So it's really hard to do something different. The funny part, though, and people think it's risky. They're like, oh, my God, if we have too much personality, we yeah. might turn off some people. The funny part is the people that you're going to turn off with that kind of content aren't the ones who are going to see it anyways. You know, especially organically, the person who's going to say like, oh, I don't know, that was a little left to center for that company to say, they're probably not on Twitter. They're probably not on Instagram. They're probably a little older and, you know, maybe using Facebook or something and probably not following your company organically. So the risk, it's like we've got an inverted risk to reward. They think the risk is really high when actually the risk is really low. And, and they think the reward's really low when in actuality, the reward's really high. I want to dig into something. Where do these fast hoodies come from? Because I think they're all over Twitter, especially my favorite one, I have to say, is the pink one. Pink, uh, yes. yes. Yeah, the pink one. <laughs> uh, I, I want to know where that idea came from because I think you are building a tribe. So I think Hell that yeah. makes total sense. But the hoodies, I'm just... Wonder. Equal parts foresight and equal parts dumb luck. So, <laughs> one, tell us they're a San Francisco tech company, and so part of the like cliche of San Francisco is that you don't wear a suit to the office. Everyone's in hoodies and jeans. So having a fast hoodie already kind of made sense. It's just a, a way to you know have merch with our with our brand on it. And then we're fortunate enough that we have a, kind of a cool brand. So fast is a cool word. Uh, the logo is nice and clean. This does not happen for every brand. And so we were aware of that. 
You know, like this wasn't lost on us. So we kind of knew that if we made clothing with our brand on it, you know, the, like no one's going to wear, who wants to wear a shirt that says Amazon pay? Like you just don't, <laughs> but fast is kind of cool. And like literally people, I, I wear this to the, uh, you know, go to the grocery store or something and people will compliment me on my sweatshirt. Like, oh, that's cool. Now, granted, they think it's a clothing brand. So we need to get our name out there a little more. Uh, you know, we're still pretty early. So you've got uh, this nice metaphor for San Francisco tech company and hoodies. You've got a brand that works as apparel. So people want to wear it. And then three, when we launched our company, so the, or when we launched our product, the, the fast checkout button, this was in September. So not that long ago. We wanted our own store to be the guinea pig. So if you want to use, if you wanted to be a, someone to first test fast checkout, we wanted to send you to our store so that if there are any issues, you know, we're not, we're not hurting a, a third party, we're not hurting a customer. So we decided to run a promotion where we would do $5 hoodies for one day. This is the day of our launch. And this is a little bit where the dumb luck comes in. Like we had done enough where we had gotten uh, a core amount of users super excited about our product. And then when we were able to partner that with a very inexpensive hoodie that was cool that people wanted to wear, the response was overwhelming. Like I, I did not expect. So this is again where some of the luck comes in. I knew people liked hoodies and wanted to wear a cool brand like that part we got, but we did not expect nearly that many people to be excited about it. And and the pink is dumb luck too. We we I, pink was picked when I was here. Like it was like here are our four colors, and one of them was pink. And then I think what happened was people started posting it online and the pink just looks good. It just pops. It's just this color that kind of stands out. And what's funny is we're right now working on our brand guidelines and our brand colors and stuff. We've now included that color because it resonated so much. So it's, you know, we're black and white if you ever see our button, but we've got some secondary colors. And so pink was not on there. We had like blue and purple, I think, uh, maybe yellow or something. And since we've had this, uh, we're like, we need to lean into the pink. Like we need to own this color a little bit. And so the lesson here is like, if you've got something that's working, like do it. Like you could see a lot of companies that maybe would have this success and go, awesome, that's cool. Like we had it and we're like, oh, we need to keep going down this trail until it ends. We're gonna, you know, we're gonna squeeze this lemon until it is completely out of juice. So we're doing more pink. We're gonna do another $5 hoodie giveaway. It's going to be an ugly Christmas hoodie that we're designing right now. The Fastronaut theme was the same idea. We like, you know, one day just kind of put it out there and it went nuts. So like literally we're just going to lean into the things that work and we're just going to, you know, uh, if we do something that doesn't work, it's like, all right, we tried that, didn't work. Let's just try something else. And so it's really like our, our audience is telling us where to go and we're just following them. You're listening. That's awesome. And I want to know something because some of the, these efforts feel like they're hard to measure. So what KPIs are you looking at to, for your success in social media? I am probably going to be the bad person to ask about this. I hate KPIs. I hate this stuff. Believe me, that, like, <laughs> we're looking for like engagement. I shouldn't say I hate KPIs. I feel like they've been glorified a little too much in the age of digital marketing. So it's really easy to say, I ran this ad on Facebook. And it got this many clicks and converted this many people. You know, I, I did a, a SEM campaign and, and here are the metrics. I think all that stuff, and I've got nothing against that stuff, but I think there are some marketing efforts that are just squishier, that are just harder to put numbers on. 
And when you put numbers on it, then you start optimizing for those numbers. And what you might want to optimize for, you can't put in a, in a quantitative form. Like, I don't know how to put in a quantitative form. People are dying for fast hoodies and beg us to send them, send them hoodies every day. Like I, you know, I could say like 30 people asked today and you know, the next day 20 people asked, but it doesn't really mean anything. I don't know. But I do know that that seems really, really good. That it seems people are so excited that they're dying to wear our brand out in public. Mm-hmm. And so it ends up being half, you know, like obviously we're looking at our numbers, our social media is growing, our engagement's high, our impressions are good. Like right now, I just care that people know about us, you know, and however they know about us, that's great. So really like that's what we're kind of, you know, that's what I'm measuring, at least from an organic standpoint. Uh, so it, it ends up being as much gut as it is hard numbers. I love that. I mean, same number of people wearing fast hoodies to number of customers that you have that have <laughs> fast hoodies, <laughs> like a random mess metric like that. Well, and here, here's the other part too. I just want to go on this KPI because you have, I, I saw this the other day. I actually had a conversation. Someone posted, so on Twitter, there's this thing where you can do, where you can take a single photo and you can break it up into four individual photos and then post it. So it looks like one photo again. So this little like kind of engagement hack where really it's probably easier to just share the one photo, but you share it as four. It's, you know, people kind of click on it. And I am willing to bet that that is because that company measures engagement. And so anything you can do to increase engagement, you're going to do. So you end up optimizing for whatever your KPI is, even if it's not what's best for your audience. I don't know that that, you know, maybe that's a good experience. Maybe it's a bad experience doing the four photos, who knows. But I do know that whoever is in charge of the social media wants to see those engagement numbers go higher. And so they're going to do things that, that lead to that. So when you say, I need this number up, you then do whatever it takes to make that number go higher. And if you're, you know, if you're trying to measure something a little squishier, like I want people to like us more, I want people to tell our, their friends about us. Uh, it's a little harder to measure that, but you probably end up creating different types of content that might serve your company better than if you are measuring something that's kind of easy to hack or easy to game the system. I feel like my favorite metrics are dark social metrics or like dark metrics, like how many people shared my post on a different mm-hmm. platform or how many people saw the fast hoodie out in public or like those metrics you can't measure, but they probably are some of the best metrics that you would have if you could measure it. So that's why when people say that you can measure everything in marketing, I totally disagree with it because there's those metrics where, especially in social that I've noticed is like my biggest lifts are when people dark share my post other places. Even when I dark shared your post on mine, it had like a thousand likes on LinkedIn. Like, and it probably brought engagement back to you, not as much as think, but it's like, that's how you used to grow by people sharing, not by people liking your post, in my opinion, from like social. Part. Totally. I want to put I've this seen... on a billboard. Yeah, <laughs> that's uh, putting it on a billboard actually makes sense too because how it's hard to measure the effectiveness of a billboard, you know. Mm-hmm. But people put billboards out there. It, it, it's before digital media, we used to do all this stuff. Like it's hard to measure the success of a TV ad. It's hard to measure the success mm-hmm. of a print ad, and uh, and also to a lot of those ads, it didn't used to be about performance. They were brand builders. They're brand lifters. 
And I don't think we do enough of that on social media. Don't sell me on whatever it is that you want me to buy in just that one click. Build the brand a little bit. You know, spend six months just getting me excited about what your company does, even if you don't want me to buy. And then in six months, 18 months, whatever it is, now you've got an audience that is warmed up and receptive when you're ready to like knock them over with whatever it is that you're selling. Yeah, I feel like that's like right now you probably have are capturing all those early adopters of like fast who are like get it and are, are raving fans. And then you have to educate, start educating the ones that don't know the new way of checking out. So it takes time to get those people into the mode of saying, now that these early adopters are doing it, how do I get this on my website? Like, how do I, but it take, it, they're not going to be those ones that are right now, like tagging and saying, I have fast on my website. I'm going to be this revolutionizer of e-commerce at the start. To your point earlier, I think the best thing that we can do, and this is impossible to measure for us. So, I, I, you know, like maybe there's a chance we can measure it. The way that we're going to have the most success in getting more companies to install fast checkout on their website is for one person to do it. And they have a community of other people who are entrepreneurs who sell stuff online and go, oh my God, Greg, I put this on my website. It is people are checking out more. They're quicker. My average volume is up. You need to install this. You need to make more money. Like that's the best way that that like like that's imp- marketing that's impossible to measure and we only get this first one super excited like like he feels a relationship to our brand and that can be whether it's social media advertising it could be our sales team it could be messages from our CEO uh, there's so many ways to do it but like that's the way that we're going to have success is building this community and network around store owners who want to sell more stuff and make it easier for their customers and it's hard to measure that. It's hard, you know, I because it, it might be just be blind to us. Like you said, it's dark. I, I don't know how we would see every one of those, but like that's our end goal is that we create such a good product with such a strong brand that people who use it can't wait to tell other people to either install it on their website or to check out with it next time they see the button. I want to ask you one last question before we wrap it up is, what would you put on a billboard, a marketing phrase that you would put on a billboard that everyone could see? Oh, man. So this is... No so, word limit. So <laughs> no word limit. So there, there might be, if someone's like driving down, I'll, I'll go back to the last, well, man, marketing. So what's interesting is there are two... Okay, I know what I would do. I would write, don't forget what used to work. I, I think what happens is we've got a lot, like with the digital marketing, I think a lot of people have forgotten the tenets of traditional marketing. And there's certainly some things that work and certainly some things that don't work still. But I feel like we've thrown out so much of the stuff that used to work. And I think we need to go back to basics for a lot of things. And so I would want, you know, like people ask me for good social media books all the time. And I really don't have any because it hasn't been around long enough. Like there isn't just enough experience, but there are tons of great marketing books. Like go read an old marketing book. That's why I like alchemy is like, go find something that has stood the test of time and then apply it to digital marketing. So yeah, don't forget what works. That would be on my marketing billboard. Big fan of that. Amazing. And the last thing we like to do is set the stage for where people could find you. Also, Mm -hmm. I want to let people know where they can find a fast hoodie. Mm -hmm. (laughs) (laughs) So where could people find you? Where could they connect with you? And anything you want to plug right now? Sure. So if you want to follow me on Twitter or Instagram, it's M. Kobach. It's just my name, my first initial, my last name. 
Um, if you want to follow Fast, we're Fast, just at F-A-S-T on Twitter. Go Fast on Instagram. And most importantly, the thing, the only thing I'm going to leave you with uh, or ask from you if you're listening is if you see the Fast Checkout button, click it. That's all I ask. Click it, try it, and I promise you will love it so much that you will be dying to tell your friends, your parents, your grandparents, your aunt and uncles, uh, because we're not making this for the early adopters. We're not making this for the tech savvy. We're making this for everyone. And I promise that you will love it and you will want to tell your friends about it. What store could someone go see this on right now that we can test it out? Depends what you want to buy. There, uh, The latest one that we just boarded was a company called Solo Stove, and they make cool campfire stoves. Beautiful. And they do millions and millions of dollars every year, so we're excited about it. Um, you can do that. If you want to buy a hoodie using Fast Checkout, you can do that too. It's swag.fast.co and you can get a pink one. You can try out the button. Yeah, a lot of, lot of cool stuff. We will be on the lookout for your Christmas sweater too. That's going to be fun. Yeah. yeah, yeah. I'm, des- I'm, I'm designing it later today. So we'll hopefully uh, I get some good ideas. Nice. Well, Matt, thank you so much for taking the time to chat with us. This was a wealth of information and I hope that we stay in touch for sure. Yeah, my pleasure. Go Hoosiers. 